Feels good to be a Blues fan right now, Joe Vitale. Oh, baby, does it ever. Oh, four wins in a row. And I tell you what, I was going into that homestand and I thought, come away with two wins, call that a win. Mm-hmm. Two victories against those four teams, I'll take that. Yeah. But to go out there and do that in four straight games felt really good. Yeah, well, I mean, to me, that's why, you know, after they went 3-0, and I was like, you know what? This is this is casino money. Yeah. This is casino yeah. money they're playing with. You know, last night in the building, you have the Edmonton Oilers here, and, and the Blues just play relaxed, and they just... These guys just don't lose. I mean, no. honestly, like they're like the the New England Patriots right now. I That's mean, they a just great point. they just find ways to win. They got a good coach. They got a good leadership core. They're getting great goaltending. They defend like little boogers, <laughs> and and they just keep going. I mean, it's I I scratch my head some nights. I look at curves. I'm just like, what the heck? Like even when they don't play great. They just win. And it's funny, Alex, my wife, who we had a very short offseason because of the Stanley Cup. Yes, we did. And every time I come home, she goes, did the Blues win again? I go, they did. She goes, oh. Are we gonna Your play wife till, does that too. Are we going to play till June again? <laughs> like, are we going to have one month with you this summer? I go, it kind of looks that way. And <laughs> and then, you know, it's funny, like last night or two nights ago, well, we were losing to Chicago last week. She goes, I went to bed and you guys were losing three nothing and I woke up this morning and you guys won four three. I'm like, yeah, we came back and won. She goes, you guys always come back and win. <laughs> I'm so glad your wife does that too. Mine's like, wait, are we gonna have another shortened off season again? Is that, <laughs> right now it's looking that way. But honestly, this Blues team is just finding ways to come and dominate every single game. And you know, even that Blackhawks game, Joe, it, it was a game that wasn't ugly but it wasn't pretty in the first period second period got away a turnover leads to Kane's goal in the third period but it's like it's like a a lion waiting in the weeds isn't it like Mm -hmm. this Blues team just always hangs around their opposition and look every game other than the Edmonton Oilers one so three of the four that you just played you had to come from behind it Now, it wasn't three goals like it was against the Blackhawks, but it was a goal against Vegas, and it was a goal against Colorado. But they just seem to hang around until the opposite team makes a mistake, and as soon as they do, the Blues capitalize. One of my favorite movies, Alex, is A Bronx Tale. Great movie. With Robert De Niro. A lot of respect. I think his son was named Sonny. I think it was Sonny. Sonny, yeah. Okay, I remember he was like, like, you know, Sonny, Sonny, why, why, why why do teams have such a hard time beating the Yankees? You know, that's my Italian accent. I got I to gotta work on that. that but terrible Italian sorry, accent. Sonny, Sonny, why, why? Why is it Yankees? No one beats the Yankees. Why? And finally, his son goes, why, Dad? He goes, because everyone's afraid of the stripes. Everyone's afraid of the stripes. My point is, teams are coming into this building, and they're already afraid. I mean, they're afraid of the St. Louis Blues, and this is the type of game that they have built around themselves. And through the consistency and the winning and the style just that crunching, smothering, gasping, depressing style they God. leave to their opponents. Love I mean, those it's, adjectives. You know what I mean? There. Just to correct you, Sonny was the older guy. The Colangelo was the son. Colangelo. C. They call C. him C. The gangsters yes. call him C. Correct. My man Dan Betlock. Sonny, Sonny was in he there. He said though. that I was like, I don't think his. I think it was Colangelo was the yeah. son. Co- actually, it's Collegio. 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 His son. His son Collegio asked him why Dan and Robert De Niro's. You know. Character said because they were afraid of the stripes. I think I think teams are really afraid of the Blues now. I think they're coming in already on their heels, knowing that this this St. Louis Blues team just cannot lose. Playing at home was an issue for this team last year, Joe. Like the Blues struggled in home games. Like they would find their ways to blow leads, or they wouldn't be able to score goals. It was it was a rough time. You have and I'd have to look at my book on this one, but 
you have the second best home record in the Western Conference, mm-hmm. only below the Dallas Stars, who I think have played two more games than you at home, and it's the sixth best in the West in the, in the National Hockey League. So home ice has become a problem now, which to the fault of the St. Louis Blues last year, that was a big problem for them. If your home game plays as well as your road game right now, you're a well-oiled machine, kind of like what the Boston Bruins have been. Yeah, and they're owning home ice. And you know what? This crowd's behind them, and and they're behind the crowd, and it's just uh, they're feeding each other. I mean, Alex, that Colorado game, it was a snowstorm. I mean, right. we don't get a lot of snow in St. Louis. So no. I'm not going to say it was a snor- snowstorm where people couldn't get out of their house because I lived up north at times where there's two feet of snow. But for St. Louis, that was a lot of snow. It was treacherous roads, and that place was packed. And the fans were on their feet, and they saw a great hockey game, and, and they're loving this team, and this team is loving them, and they are feeding off each other. And they've made Enterprise Center a, a scary place to play, officially. I mean, when I was with the Penguins, they had a stretch there with David Backus and those, uh, Bear Jackman. I mean, the Blues were heavy. Yeah. You knew you were going to be getting welts leaving that game. Like, the forearms were going to be bruised. Sidney Crosby hated playing David Backus. Along with Dominic Moore, that was probably his most feared sentiment to play against just really? because of the hacks, the whacks. Uh, the just the grind down low game. You knew you were in for a hard game, and and to my point about opponents looking at the Blues, they're afraid now. I mean, they are coming in. They know it's going to be a tough game. They know this Blues team is terrific in their own building, and it's just it's been a lot of fun to watch if you're a Blues fan. Do you remember that year that David Backus went on that tear and fought? Pretty much everybody who was in on Team Canada. It was the year of the the Winter Olympics. Yeah, took on Jonathan Taves, took on Drew Doughty. Did he take? I I thought he took on Crosby that year. They didn't fight. They but didn't? They've had some battles. They have. Yeah, David Backus is a guy that you know you you'll skate with them in the summer, and I did skate with them because I was in St. Louis. I'd skate with the Blues on my off season, and David was so nice, like super approachable. Oh, yeah. Hey Joe, this is when we're skating. Thanks for coming out. Whenever you want to come, you know, like so nice. It, if you need anything, let me know. If you want to go golf, we're going to golf this weekend at you know Boone Valley or whatever. I'm, oh, thanks, David. No, I'm, I'm good. Whatever. Thank you though. So nice. I played him the first game. I think it was like two months in the season. You kind of go up to him in the face of, "Hey, Dave. Hey, Dave. What's going, you know, what's going on? Just shoot the shoot the breeze. Act like you're my buddy. You know right. what I mean?" And and he just like would look at me, stare at me, and just not even say a word. And then he'd whack me at the whistle. Like he was he was a player that you know he was a a, f- a friend off the ice. But I tell you what, when that puck dropped, he was a warrior, man. He was a an all out like. Put your friends aside. Put your friendships aside. I'm here to win a game, and I think that's why he was such a good captain. How often did that happen in the NHL when you'd when you'd be friends with a guy, and then you'd get on the ice, and they would just be a total you know what? Yeah, you know uh, Matt Cook. That happened to Matt Cook when he went to Minnesota, and me, Matt and I were very close. I mean, we went to church group together. I mean, Matt was a pretty faithful guy. Which still surprises the hell out of me I that know. you went to church group with Matt Cook. He led chapel. He organized chapel. We were at a great church, uh, Northern. PA together and he was on stage sometimes talking and addressing the clergy and and I'm telling you what Matt Matt was a very faithful guy but you know again like David Backus you know he he went in that Superman uh, phone booth when the game was on he came out and his equipment on and he just went to work and then when the game was over he was very sweet and very kind and he went to Minnesota and I uh, I was kind of trying to talk to him at warm-ups and he just kind of gave me the death stare and then he smoked me in the game and I even said come on cookie and he just like would growl at me I'm like god man you <laughs> know you go to the church by PPG paints because there's a church right there a big one yeah like so- literally right there it's funny you say that, Dan. So if you look at PP Jenks, so it used to be the Console Energy Center when I was playing there. Mm-hmm. So in Mary Lemieux, they established they're going to have a new rink right across from the old Mellon, right? There's a church there. I believe it's, oh, guys, is it St. Teresa? Hold on a minute. 
Uh, it's a red brick church, yep. beautiful church. It's a cathedral. And the city said, you can build here, but you can't touch this church. It's like a landmark. It's a historic landmark. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like a cathedral where, according to the Roman Catholic Church, you cannot. this cannot be torn down unless it is uh, deemed uh, unlivable or you, know, you can't say right. church anymore. So Mario builds this rink. And it's funny. If you ever go to Pittsburgh, check it out. It's this huge, beautiful PPG Banks Paints Arena. Right there, but then right next to it, I mean, literally right next to it is this like, like in be- the parking lot, like literally like, almost like butt up to the the building is this beautiful red cathedral. I got called up my first year, and I would I'd go there and I get communion almost every day wow. before my game. You know what I mean? And it was so convenient because the the hotel was on the backside. Uh, Stay at that hotel, yeah. Right, the backside yep. right there. The Embassy Suites, I believe it was uh, called. Or, yeah, well, yeah, I think it's Marriott, maybe. Is it Marriott? Marriott? Maybe it's Marriott. Courtyard, maybe? I don't know. Oh, no, there's Courtyard. Yeah, yeah so yeah. Courtyard, and then the church was right there, and the rink was right there. I didn't, I mean, I didn't move. I just stayed right there. I got room service every night. I had my church there. I had the rink there. But, yeah, it's kind of a cool little story there, and, and that that is a, a pretty vibrant church to this day. That's but awesome. It's funny on Saturday afternoons, like or Saturday evenings when they have mass and there's a game going on. It is loud in that church. <laughs> I can only imagine what mass would be like and you got hockey fans roaring uh, in the game going on that's joe vitale i'm alex ferrario dan betlock here as well it is this week in hockey we're here until eight o'clock tonight we got a fun show for you this evening paul bissonette biz nasty the former teammate of joe vitale and of course the co-host of the spit and chicklets very popular mm-hmm. podcast uh he's going to join us at about 6 30 tonight we're also going to get into greg washinsky's top 100 nhl players of the decade we'll get a little fight uh not fight feedback on this one because there's some interesting names and in rankings of where these NHL players sit and the topic that Joe Vitale threw to Lou Korak on the fast lane what coaches could be on the hot seat because there could be a couple more coming down the line in the month of December going into January it's this week in hockey and we'll continue next on 101 ESPN Back in on this week in hockey, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you hanging out this evening. Of course, this week in hockey comes your way every single week here on 101 ESPN. It's normally Wednesday nights, but there have been a really odd number of Wednesday night games this season in the National Hockey League. I don't remember this many Wednesday games in the past. Yeah, they're trying to mess up our show, man. I think they are. They saw that Joe and Alex were putting it together. Like, oh, we're going to screw this bad boy up. Yeah, but you know what, though? It's like we looked at it, and if we decided to do it like on a Tuesday, we would have had a great month in November We here, but then in December we would yeah. never. So it's just the tail end of the season was like every Tuesday. Yeah, it's just, yeah. you know, so we're, we're making it work, man. I got to yeah. do it from afar. I got to do it from we a adjust. studio. I do like nice doing it in studio, studio though. though. I miss you and Dan's face. Yeah, it's You're... been nice having you in studio. Not that it's not fun hearing you watch Step Brothers when we're doing our show. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do that, did I? No, I don't think so. You were watching some type of movie because we were quoting it in each commercial break. Oh, you know what? That was in Tampa. It was in the background. Yeah. I don't like I don't like quiet hotel rooms. Oh, no, I don't either. I need to stay I need to like stay active. Right? I, get, I go crazy. Do you sleep with the TV on? Oh yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Got to. Does your wife hate it? The greatest invention ever had to have been the guy that came up with the timer. The sleep button. The sleep button yeah. on the remote control. Who what genius? Yeah. I mean Sony, Mr. Sony, whatever his name is. <laughs> I mean, Mitsubishi? Because you can fall asleep with the TV on, and then you get a good night's sleep. It's, it's like you're killing two birds with one stone. That's it's exactly beautiful. it. Well, somebody else killing two birds with one stone right now, Joe, is Jake Allen. And not only is he coming away with victories for the team, but he is also improving his stock in the NHL. And not mm. that it wasn't high, but there was a lot of scrutiny over Jake Allen last year in the first half when Bennington was called up, and Jake Allen couldn't be a number one goaltender. It was two straight years where he struggled in the months of December and January, 
And you said something on the broadcast last night that really stuck out to me, and I talked about it on the postgame. Jake Allen looks like he's taking everything that Jordan Bennington's doing in between the pipes and putting it into his game. Mm-hmm. Like, the movements don't look fast for Jake Allen in between the pipes. It, it looks like he's going the easy route. He's challenging the shooter. There's a lot of confidence exuding from Jake Allen right now. I, I agree, Alex, big time. I mean, I'm watching Jake last night's game, for example, and and I had to do a couple double takes. I mean, I, I, at first I thought, I mean, because first of all, Bennington and him are relatively the same height, if not the exact same height. Right. They kind of look about the same size. Pads are pretty close, Pads too. Are, so even in practice, some days I'm like, is that Jake or is that not Jake? <laughs> right. I, I have to get confused. But now his style is starting to look like Jordan Bennington. And and what, what a great thing that is, because here you have a veteran in Jake Allen who has meant so much to this franchise. I mean, he's basically top three in nearly every category right now. And, you know, you look at that and – the fact that he's still learning, the fact that he's still evolving, and now he's going to take something that a young goaltender is doing so well in the National Hockey League and learn from it. I mean, just for example, and I think I was talking to Stalters about this today earlier, but you know, his free hand, his glove hand, which is his left hand, it, it has evolved. It has changed from last season. And you look at last season, watch a lot of his clips, he kind of tucks that glove in tight. His elbow is attached to his ribs, and his armpit is closed off. And I think that's made him smaller. But now this year, looking at the game last night, how many pucks did he just come up and grab? Yep. He just gra- he just snagged him just like a shortstop, and his armpit is free. It's airing out. His elbow is about you know a foot or two away from his ribs now, and he is taking control with his glove. Not only that, he's actually you know reaching out with his glove like Jordan Bennington does. Now for a shooter, if you're coming down on a goalie and he's got his glove close to his body, there's stuff that's open. And as soon as he starts reaching his glove out straight at the shooter, uh, the angles change. Things close up. And I think he's starting to take away more angles that way. And and it's just been phenomenal to watch uh, not only uh, how goaltenders work off each other, but a veteran who's been so established in this organization. He's looking now at a young goaltender in Jordan Bennington and still learning from him. But I love Jake's composure. I thought he's been terrific on the road. I, I absolutely love the fact that he got into a home game and he had success. Yeah. I mean, this is a home crowd. These St. Louis Blues fans now were spoiled. And there's a lot of sometimes bad taste in our mouth with Jake Allen for some of the goals and some of the stretches he's been a part of over the last couple of years. So for Jake to win over this crowd again is going to be you know very important, I think, moving forward in this season. I thought it was an incredible st- step last night because you just can't say enough about Jake Allen as a teammate. And to see him have success on the ice, you know the team in front of him it just cannot be happier. It's been well documented uh, of the way that he – is a teammate in terms of what he says, saying that, you know, I don't care if I'm starting or if I'm on the bench. I just want to be there for my guys whenever they need me. He, he's been a, a, an A-plus teammate in his time in the NHL, specifically, of course, with the St. Louis Blues. How rare is that, Joe? Because you've been a part of teams that have goaltending tandems. You've been a part of teams with an established number one goaltender and then as an established backup is it rare to see goalies have this type of relationship? It is now. You know, 20 years ago, Alex, it, it was not a problem. Right. Because, you know, 20 years ago in the National Hockey League, you had a starting goaltender and then you had a significant second. I mean, it wasn't even close, right? You had a the starter was your go-to guy and there was a big drop-off in your backup. So everyone knew that. So backups, you know, they were uh, they understood their role a lot more. Maybe they were really good in the locker room. They really helped out the starter because they knew that any given night he's the guy and I'm not the guy. And it was a it was a humbling position. Darren Payne talked to me a lot about it. Now, 
the goalies are so good. You look at the number one and the number two guy, there's not a big gap. Mm -hmm. So because there's not a big gap between the number one and number two anymore, sometimes that's it becomes really competitive. And you got to really watch the personalities because if you have a starter, maybe or one guy that doesn't like how this guy is competing with them, or maybe uh, you can say maybe he's throwing him under the bus at times, or he's looking to get a little bit ahead and become the number one starter. Sometimes those can really soil a relationship. And and I have seen the National Hockey League, so I think that when you have not only a one-two punch, but you got to have the personality, especially for that veteran second guy like a Hudobin in Dallas. They absolutely love him down there, but he's competitive, but he also understands where he belongs. Yeah. I think Jake, it's very important for him to understand right now, Jordan's the guy. When I'm called upon, I'll be the guy, but you know, Jordan is the guy. And I think to understand that is a, a very healthy for the, not only the relationship of the goalie, but the relationship of the entire team. And Jake's definitely got to figure it out. So it's vital to have two goalies. Like That's very well known <laughs> when it comes to the NHL season for how long it is. And if somebody something happens, an injury, you got two guys who can step in. But I'm curious, Joe, because the the stock is is rising on Jake Allen right mm -hmm. now. I mean, I think when it comes to a, a number two goaltender in the NHL, he's probably one of the best right up there with Yaroslav Halak with what he's doing in Boston. Excuse me. But if Jake Allen continues this way, I'm very curious if he becomes a trade piece for Doug Armstrong mm -hmm. into improving this team by the trade deadline. I mean, it's a fair question, Alex. I mean, you hate to see Jake go because of we, we all see how important it is to have uh, a one-two tandem. Now, come playoff time, maybe the one-two tandem's not as important. Right. So if you can take Jake, let's say we take it to the deadline. Let's say Jake continues this play. Well, he becomes very valuable, and who knows? I mean, Vladimir Tarasenko, to me, is kind of the wild card right now. Mm -hmm. Will he be okay for the end of the regular season and for playoffs? And that if he is, maybe Doug Armstrong doesn't do a thing. Maybe you have an elite goal scorer. I mean, Vladimir Tarasenko, right behind Alex Ovechkin, has the most 5-on-5 five -five goals over this past decade, I believe, is eight or nine years. Yeah. So it's some crazy stat. Vladimir Tarasenko is an elite goal scorer, and you are getting that back right at playoff time if he progresses the way he's supposed to. So in that case, maybe you hang on to a Jake Allen. And, you know, I, I do think the Blues could use a goal scorer. I mean, I don't sound silly, but every team can use a goal scorer. Right. I think the Blues really could use some more five-on-five -five production. The games they're winning, uh, they are tight. We saw a lot of overtime goal games to start the season. Yep. Uh, you guys threw out that crazy stat last Eight night. Eight out of 14. Eight out of 14, which is nuts. Right. Uh, so the games are tight. And, and they haven't had one in 11 straight, which is really weird. Yeah, and you're, they're going to even get tighter uh -huh. in playoffs. And it's less penalties in playoffs. So you're really going to need to depend on five on five. So you're really going to need a goal scorer, in my opinion, right now. Jake Allen could be a very valuable piece. If Doug Armstrong looks at Vladimir Tarasenko and he's not ready, and they need a goal scorer because, let's face it, the Blues window's now, and it's going to be here for a few years, in my opinion, unless something else drastically happens where it can extend it a little bit. But their window's now, and I think he wants a win now. I think this this is a general manager that is uh, stubborn to, to a great degree, where he is hungry and uh, he, he wants another championship. So he's going to have to do whatever he can at that deadline to hopefully increase his scoring. I think goaltending right now with Jordan Bennington in the playoffs, you're good every night, and defensively, we're very solid so uh we'll just have to see and a lot just has to do with the, the petro wild yeah card as well. well the petro one i think is the bigger wild card and that might be the question look i, I know people would look at it and say well you got to get rid of him if you're not going to get any you want to get something back for him if you're not going to be able to retain him but he also is your best shot at winning a stanley cup championship mm -hmm. once again because i think that changes the team drastically but I'm curious, too, when it comes to this decision, and you were a part of this in the middle of a year with the Pittsburgh Penguins when they made some significant moves at the trade deadline. 
let's say you do move a Jake Allen. Let's say you move somebody off of your roster in the NHL to try and upgrade the team. Does that mess up the chemistry? I think it does to some degree. Now, Alex, it could increase the chemistry. I mean, you you may look at it like, you know, well, we were so good before. Why do this? Because now look what happened. Or we were so good before, and now we got this guy, and oh, my God, look what happened. I mean, let's just take, for example, when I was in Pittsburgh. You know, we brought in Jerome McGinley at the at the deadline. We brought in Moro from Dallas. We brought in UC Jokin and Doug Murray. I mean, uh, players that were, were significant on their teams, and we were in first place when Ray Shiro made all these moves. Now, we got bounced in the Eastern Conference Final. We didn't have enough what it took. We had players like UC Jokinen, but he was playing on the fourth line, so he didn't really know how to play right. on the fourth line. Jerome McGinley was playing third-line minutes, which he was not used to. He was not the guy. He was not going on the power play. So you had maybe uh, fourth-line guy, fourth guys that really didn't know what to do versus a Mackenzie McEachern who knows exactly what to do in the seven minutes he's called upon as far as skating, being physical, getting to the net, and maximizing his time. So there, there is the argument that you can mess with the chemistry. Doug Armstrong did nothing last year. He loved his group before the deadline, and I think that proved successful. I have every reason to believe that he's going to do the same thing again this year, mm-hmm. assuming Vladimir Tarasenko is going to be okay. But at the same time, there's the flip side. Look at the Boston Bruins last year. Terrific regular season. They get Charlie Coyle in a trade. They get Johansson yeah. in, in that deal. So they, they added pieces, and they made it to the Stanley Cup final. I don't think they would have made it that far without the pieces added. So you really got to look at it in, in a few different you know, ways. And Don Sweeney, I think he won the GM of the year last yeah. year because of the moves he made. So uh, really it's about the general manager being really in tune with his group, the personalities, and will this guy fit in the system uh, for which Craig Bruby has in front of him. Well, and the trade that took place uh, that a lot of people in St. Louis were hoping could happen for the team was Taylor Hall. He was traded to the Arizona Coyotes. So we are going to talk about that trade and what went down for Arizona, how he fits into that system, and more with Paul Bissonette, Biz Nasty on Twitter, the co-host of Spit and Chicklets podcast, the former teammate of Joe Vitale. He joins us next here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Plenty of games tonight around the National Hockey League, some in the Central Division, a lot in the Western Conference. Colorado Avalanche, Chicago Blackhawks, Nashville Predators, Dallas Stars, the Arizona Coyotes, who sit in first place in the Pacific Division. And to talk a little bit about the Arizona team that made the acquisition of Taylor Hall, that sits at 2012 and 4, and they are in action tonight taking on the Minnesota Wild. We welcome in the radio analyst for the Arizona Coyotes, the co host of the Spit and Chicklets podcast, and the former teammate of Joe Vitale. It's Paul Bissonette. Biz Nasty, how are you, buddy? Yeah, Joe used to clean my jock and fill my water bottles. <laughs> they used to let him play with me a couple games. That was, uh, when he figured out he's on the fourth line and couldn't get the puck deep, and he kept turning over at the blue line. That's when I think they kind of told him, "Hey, you got to kick rocks." I've heard the I've heard the podcast of Joe Vitale on there, and and Biz, I'm I'm glad you laid it out there for him and let him know that he just needs to get the puck deeper next time. <laughs> He said it was the, the the pressure that I was putting on him, which made him, uh, you know, fumble at the blue line. But uh, just no <laughs> accountability on Joe's end. But I will say this: um, I think he still stands as the most listened to episode in Spit and Chicklets history. That doesn't um, surprise me. Over seven hundred thousand people listen to that episode. So uh, apparently, somebody thinks he's cool. Well, you know, I have a huge Italian family, Piz. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, Polly Boy, you're heading down to the rink. If not, are you at the rink right now? Taylor Hall is going to be in the building. I mean, yeah, Paul, you played there. I've played there. We, we've experienced this city and the fan base. What does this just mean for everyone involved with this new deal uh, with the Coyotes? Well, I mean, I was in New York City when it all went down, right? Because I was uh, there for uh, – we were doing some interviews. But just like, yeah, it's it's been crazy. I mean, I knew that uh, there was about five teams that were involved in, in, in aggressively trying to get him. Did I, you know, when, when the Coyotes' names pop, pop up, you're, you know, you're always a little bit, uh, you know, pessimistic just because you don't know if, if you know, because we, we haven't really attracted many big-name free agents other than getting Phil Kessel this offseason. So maybe that kind of got the ball rolling. But I am so happy for this fan base. And, and you know, they've been patient and, and waiting for, a, you know, a contender. And, and all of a sudden with adding a heart, uh, you know, a heart winner like him and considering we're already in first in the Pacific we have great goaltending. We have a good back end with some guys getting healthy in Jarmelson and Demers. Uh, hopefully we'll be back in the next uh, few weeks or latest a month. You know, all of a sudden now we're, we, we have that, that, that offense and some depth up front. And I, like I said, I'm, I'm excited to see puck, puck drop here tonight. I'd imagine we, we get some more fans than, than normal and, and, and hopefully we can keep growing this thing and, and we can make a push here. Are, are we starting to see a little daylight now, Paul, on what happened with Shane Doan? I mean, obviously when, when Shane leaves, obviously there was some drama behind it. But maybe maybe now looking back, I mean, the same thing happened with the Sedins, if you look at it. Like the Sedins and Vancouver, really, Vancouver couldn't move on, in my opinion, while still having the Sedins. They had to finally get rid of the Sedins in order to start fresh. And we obviously are great friends with Shane, and, and I don't mean this to be disrespectful, yeah. but was no, that I, is that something to be a part of how they rebuilt and now where they're at now? Yeah, it's such a great question. It's such a touchy subject because, you know, in, in, in one light, you know, Shane Doan did so much for this organization. I think there's definitely some regrets on on uh, on um, on some people's parts on, on the way things were handled. I think that everything's been put to rest and, and Donor's not a, you know, he's not a very vindictive person. He's not going to hold a grudge long or, or be upset. I think he's moved on and and, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, even moving forward, maybe he can, you know, come back into the organization and, and maybe help out in other areas. But I, I agree with you. You know, there was a few, a few dark years, and I know there were some, definitely some fans that were not happy with the way that all happened and went down. But, you know, sometimes difficult decisions do need to be made in order to, you know, you got to get worse before you get better, and that's what happened. And we're seeing now since then the steady climb of this organization and, 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 and finishing with more points year after year, um, you know, signing to some guys with some fairly fairly uh, decent contracts. I mean, we got Jacob Chikrin, a guy who's who's popping off this year, locked in at a very fair price. We got uh, we got the um, Clayton Keller, the St. Louis boy, who who I thought we signed him to a very fair contract, and he's getting back to his uh, his uh, Calder Trophy uh, nomination days uh, in his first year. And then even that uh, Schmaltz, who's been, I mean, he's kind of been the guy who, who was sticking the bull by the horns and, and came off that knee injury and, and, and really led this team offensively this year. Biz, I mean, the Taylor Hall deal, in my opinion, uh, it can't be a rental for Arizona to win unless they win the cup. I mean, they got to they gotta figure out a way to sign this guy. Am I wrong? I'm okay with, with what we gave up considering we're getting him now. And, and, and if it's a deadline acquisition, I mean, mind you, there might have been some more desperate teams at the deadline, and they may have offered more than what we did. We didn't give up. We didn't give any of our prospects that we didn't want to give up, who we think are going to be impact uh, impact players at the NHL level. Um, 
yeah, I mean, you never really want to give a first-rounder, but, I mean, if, if we end up sneaking in the playoffs, regardless if we had a Hall or not, no, it's going to be a mid, mid-first-round mid pick. And I think that around here people remain patient enough where, you know, John saw an opportunity to get a guy like that. And, 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 and hopefully with spending that much time here and, and if we're able to have success, who knows, maybe he falls in love with it and we do get him. I know that the – I think the, the condition was if, if he resigns and we win a playoff series that we would be sending back another first-round pick. So at that point, well worth it. I'd give up two first-rounders in the prospects we did to, to retain him and, and keep him involved. But uh, – I, I don't know. I, I think that I think that it, it was a fair move, and, and I, I I won't put too much pressure on it this early. Especially, you know, we know how you know if, if you want to be hyperbolic about stuff, and the next thing you know, a month later, you know, you look a little silly online if you're going to go give your hot takes. <laughs> Going to talk with Paul Bissonnette, the radio analyst for the Arizona Coyotes here on this week in hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale, with you. So, Paul, wh- what was that uh, adapting like for Taylor Hall? Does it feel like, and I know it's a short sample size, but does it feel like that he? kind of uh, adapted into that locker room pretty easily? Because that's not an easy thing to do for a player midseason. Well, first off, great locker room here. Guys really love each other, great chemistry. That, that's obvious, and that's probably why they've had so much success early on so far this season. I think he's going to you know, transition nice, okay. n- nice and smooth. Um, I'm hoping it helps Kessel kind of find his game as well and take a little pressure off him offensively. Uh, he, he's, he's been very solid, Kessel, and, and uh, although the, the offensive numbers aren't there, so um, the, the, the reason why I'm once again okay with what we sent back in order to get him this early, you know, we have Christmas break coming, then we have uh, the All Star break, and you know he's going to have some time to settle in before it really gets to crunch time. So I, I think once once he he gets comfortable here and, and everyone settled in, that that it, it's it's going to be a lot better, and and everyone's going to be really able to focus on the fact that we already have our group set. And then, hey, this is it. Let's go. Not getting somebody at the deadline necessarily uh, and shaking things up then. Well, Paul, from a personal standpoint, you're obviously covering the game, the home games here for the Coyotes. You're doing some NHL work, the podcast, Spit and Chicklets, which I've been a part of. And it's just maybe it's, it's the only podcast, Alex, oh, yeah. I listen to. It is the funniest. Uh, if you haven't listened to it yet, Spit and Chicklets is the podcast. Him and Ryan Whitney just go off. It's hilarious. Yep. It's it's yeah, full of knowledge, hockey we're knowledge. We're but off. my question to you, Paul, uh, when do you sleep with all the stuff you're doing? <laughs> Uh, it's been hard. I actually just took a flight back here. I landed, went home in an Uber, and then put my suit on and came to the rink. I had to do a quick Coyotes podcast just before this, then this, and then uh, and then break the TV and then radio. So, you know what, buddy? It's 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 been a grind, but but it's been fun. And and, and I I have a, a a big working mentality. I get that from my mother, and and it's it's been a very enjoyable. As far as the podcast is concerned, uh, I don't know how many people listening right now listen to it. Yeah, we're we're a little rough around the edges. Um, you know, I'm I'm fairly self-deprecating as is Ryan Whitney. We've been fortunate where you know we were the clowns in the locker room we played, and now we've created a platform where where guys can let these stories, these behind-the-scenes stories, fly, and feel like they're not being judged, and and, and really just everyone comes to enjoy it. So um, the, the response has been incredible. We ended up re- uh, launching a vodka. Um, uh, with New Amsterdam, who's our presenting vodka called Pink Whitney, and I mean we sold over a million bottles in the first month. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Forbes just did an article on it, so things have things have escalated really quickly. And and I guess the, the last thing I'll say is I'm just really grateful. And and Joe, you could probably attest to this as well to ha- you know have something to to latch on to post career and, and really still be in the mix and and have something more not even more so financially, but just something to occupy my time and and, 
and give me a purpose. So it's been great. And, and I remember you shared your story on our podcast, Joe, and I think that's why a lot of people took a liking to it. You, you were in a rut there, and, and, and I mean, everyone was so happy for you after you ended up getting the job with the St. Louis Blues and, and, and ended up turning everything around. Well, you know, um, Paul, we were coming home from Western Canada with the Blues, and everyone was having wine, some whiskey on the plane. You know, the broadcast crew loves the whiskey. And out of nowhere, I get a tap on the shoulder. It's Braden Shen, and he's got two Dixie Cups, and he's got a bottle of the Pink Whitney Vodka. And we went <laughs> no. to absolute town. The entire team just took down probably a half a case, but everyone loved it. Oh, man. Hopefully we're, we're the ones who sent it out because you guys have done so much for us. and, and we, we love that group there. And, and talk about a group uh, last year that just really gelled together. Was there a team in the league that's having more fun than those guys on and off the ice or what? These no, guys are hung over every day at the rink. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. I probably shouldn't say that. But these guys, you mentioned the tight locker room in Arizona, Paul. I mean, it's very similar in St. Louis. And look how much success each team's having. Oh, it, it, it starts there, man. If you, if you don't have a group of guys that are willing to lay it on the line for each other, you're, you're hooped. I mean, look, I mean, you can go back, look at all these years. And even, even on teams that are like, they tend to be overpaying guys. Now you have to have the money spread out in order to be successful. So the parody's great in the NHL. Everything's good. And, uh, and uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. Is this live radio, by the way? This is live radio, Paul, and you've crushed it. I know, and I didn't swear either. You didn't slip up I, one I time. tight. <laughs> That's <laughs> you're a pro kid. Yeah, you are, Paul. You hey, got anything else for me? Or no, can no. I, can I go uh, do my Coyotes duties now? Yeah, go we're gonna let you go duty. be your radio analyst tonight. Hey, man, thank you so much for taking some time out with us. It's great to catch up with you and have fun the rest of the season. Absolutely, and actually, I jumped on that Cam Johnson and, and Strickland podcast recently, so look out for that one. Those guys are animals as well. Oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> we know have all. You been on there, Joe? What's that? Have you been on yet? No, they haven't asked me. Oh, yeah. Maybe one day when I'm a filler, when they need a filler. filler. <laughs> well, we talked about you on there, so hopefully that gives you the chicklets bump and you get the, you get the nod. No, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a chicklets guy. I don't go on any other podcast. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Okay, thank you guys for having me. All right, on. thanks. And, uh, thanks, Biz. Take care. Folks in St. Louis. Thanks, pal. Awesome. There you go. That's Paul Bissonette with us, the radio analyst for the Arizona Coyotes and, of course, the co-host of the Spit and Chicklets podcast. We'll take a break. We'll come back for more This Week in Hockey here on 101 ESPN. Final time here in the first hour of This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. No, that's right. We got one more hour to go. Plenty more hockey talk to get into. Big thank you to Paul Bissonette for hopping on with us. And uh, always fun to catch up with the co-host of the Spit and Chicklets podcast. And honestly, I will pump the tires of that because it is the hockey podcast to listen to. Um, and I also will pump the Joe Vitale episodes. The first episode was good. The second episode was better. Oh, really? The second episode of you telling the story of... You having your vasectomy done and then reversed, yeah. and then, of course, having a child that's on the way. Right. It's an incredible story. I haven't listened to either. I really? Can't, I don't like listening to myself or, or watching myself, for that matter. It's I know you're supposed well, yeah, to in Joe this Vitale's position. Joe on the NHL Network, too, last night. I don't. I don't. I, I know. Did you see him at the angle from the scoreboard? My nose looks so crooked. You looked Italian. Your hands were moving around. Jeez, like you, mine do. You can see the four broken noses I had right in that <laughs> clip. I'm like, God, it's a terrible angle. Lightning, lightning's terrible. No, uh, no, it was fun being on that yeah. podcast. And I know we joked about it 
uh, with Biz because um, he was just on the Cam and Strick podcast. But I've heard great things. They're doing a wonderful job here yeah. in St. Louis. So check that podcast out as well. Those podcasts are fun, man. I mean, they are. Uh, they're a good uh, venue for guys and a platform for guys just to kind of cut loose, let loose, tell and the stories. Uh, tell the stories. And yeah. it doesn't have to be as PG-13. So uh, they're a lot of fun. Yeah, and this you can check this podcast out. It is more PG-13 for the listeners. But, of course, this podcast is out there as well. Uh, this Week in Hockey, you can search it uh, wherever you get your podcast from. So, Joe, this is going to be a highly debated topic, I feel like. Um, and the listeners can jump in on this as well. Hot Shots text line at 65780. Greg Wyshynski, Puck Daddy from ESPN, he's the NHL senior writer, put a list out of the top 100 players in the 2010 decade. So the last mm-hmm. decade, the top 100 players. And we talked about this this morning on the Bernie Mickler show with Jeremy Rutherford because a lot of these I was surprised by, but none more surprising than the top three. Yeah. Where, according to what Greg Wyshynski decided, and again, this is an opinionated topic, Connor, or, I'm sorry, Sidney Crosby's number one, which I think everybody can get on board with with what he's done, but he's asked Connor McDavid as number two ahead of Alex Ovechkin. And yeah. That part's really surprising to me. I got a problem with that. I do too. I got a problem with that. When, when was McDavid drafted? 2015. Yeah. Okay. So he comes. So he's only half the decade. Right. I mean, you, if you're, I mean, okay, if you're talking five years, of course, but the last decade, Alex Ovechkin, what he has done, yeah. what he continues to do, Alex Ovechkin, he can realistically take over Wayne Gretzky's right. goal record. Yep, all-time goal record. He he can get there. And I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but we did it earlier this season. I think if he kept pace and, and scored 40 a year for like seven years or something like that, on average, if he scored 40 or it was around that ballpark, yeah. uh, without giving you the exact numbers, it was very realistic. Assuming he doesn't get injured and he can play another five, six, seven years, you're looking at Alex Ovechkin can take over the greatest hockey player of all. How is he not number two? How do you put Connor McDavid? Now, maybe one day, in 15, 20 years, if we're, we're talking about this, maybe McDavid overtakes Alex Ovechkin. But at this point right now, you're talking about the decade, Alex Ovechkin and Sidney Crosby are the number one, two. two. They're the two greatest players. And I would even argue Evgeny Malkin is number three before I would put Connor McDavid up there for the sample size that we've had of Evgeny Malkin. So what Joe has mentioned, so 1,487 games played for Wayne Gretzky, 894 goals. Alex Ovechkin has played 1,119 games and has scored 679 goals. So you're talking 894 minus 679. So six what is that? That's 79. So he's got 215. Let's, let's say he plays six more years. 215 more goals he needs to score. That's 35 goals for the next six seasons. And he has scored 35 goals at least all but... What is that? All but two seasons in his entire NHL career. <laughs> it can happen. Yeah. And he has not played less. He had one season where he played 48 games, and that was the, the, the semi-lockout season. He's played 70 or more games every season in the National Hockey League, and he's got 35 games played with 21 goals this season. If he stays healthy and they find replacements for Backstrom at some point, because Backstrom can't hang on forever. No. Uh, TJ Oshie resigns. I don't know what kind of deal he's on right now, but he's got to stay there. And then Carlson on the back end. You got to keep Carlson. I mean, the power play alone, the power play for the Washington Capitals, I mean, that should put Alex Ovechkin over the hump. I mean, we he may score a couple seasons of 50 goals where he doesn't, it's not as much pressure well, to that's score what 35. I was going to say, because you're 34 years old right now. He turns 35 in September, so he'll be 34 the rest of the season. If you score 40 goals a season, you can surpass Wayne Gretzky in five seasons. Yeah. 
So five seat, you know, 40 might be touching it or like reaching, but 39 for a guy like Alex Ovechkin, and again, it all comes down to health, could actually take down Wayne Gretzky's record of goals. I agree. Uh, a couple other here, uh, Alex, I'm yeah. going to stick on the. Yeah, tell me the ones that stick out to you. Uh, to me, I really despise Eric Carlson at number four. I'm so glad you said despise that. Despise it. Yeah. What is what is the deal with this guy? Are people just fixated on his like um, Johnny Depp, Pirates of the Caribbean, whiskery mustache? I, I don't get his, it. Like, his train ransom mustache. He doesn't defend. He doesn't even care to play defense. And no. Yeah. He, he listen. He's great. He has some really phenomenal years in Ottawa. Uh, he signed a big ticket, which he deserved for what he had done up to that point. But since he's been to San Jose, I, I, I'm not going to say he's been a bust, but I, very underwhelming. For yeah. what they were expecting. But what does he have to show for the seasons that he's done? I mean, a couple of Norris I mean. trophies, which to me are kind of a joke now compared to what they've used to be. So so let me read you off defensemen who are behind Eric Carlson and tell me if they should be above him. Duncan Keith. Mm, yeah, probably. Without question. I mean, the points the may cups. not be the same, but you got three cups. What, two cups? Dude, he logged. So him and Duncan Duncan Keith and Seabrook those and John Merson, those guys logged heavy minutes right. throughout those cup runs. Victor Hedman. Uh, I'm not going to put Victor Hedman I, above I think there. I'd keep Hedman below him. Mark Giordano. I See, I like him as a defender way better than Carlson, but, I mean, You're he just doesn't have the sexy name. Right. You know what I mean? That's the problem. I'd definitely put Drew Doughty ahead of him. Yeah, I would, too. You got, what, two Stanley Cups once again? A guy who scores, uh, what, logs 26-31 per game, second in the National Hockey League for the decade, 462 points in 806 games, ranks fifth among defensemen. Yeah. So you may not be there with Eric Carlson in terms of points, but he's a better overall defenseman in terms of offense and defense than Eric Carlson combined. Yeah, I think Carlson's riding his last wave. Unless yeah. he turns this thing around or he like finds a spark and can defend a little bit, I think I think you're going to start seeing some serious criticism on him here pretty soon. You know another one that really gets me, Joe, is Henrik Lundqvist being fifth. Yeah, what's up with that? Again, it's the sexiness. Like He's got he's a stud, good-looking guy in New York City. I mean, come on, man. I'm amazed that Mark Andre Fleury's not in the same position that Henrik Lundqvist is in. Yeah, I mean, you got Jonathan Taves, the captain of the Chicago Blackhawks. For what they've done recently, he's at number 15, and you're going to put Henrik Lundqvist number five, who again has not won a Stanley Cup. I know. One of the texters sent in from the 314 the top three of the decade: Crosby, Ovechkin, and Kane. See, I would put Kane over McDavid right now. I would too. Yeah, I agree. I to, to me, and you know, where is Patrick Kane? I mean, what the heck's going on here? Kane is ninth, I believe. Oh, he's ninth. I think he's ninth. Okay. Yeah, he's got to be lower. We're looking at a future Hall of Famer. Yeah, Patrick Kane's ninth below Steven Stamkos, Patrice Bergeron, Evgeny Malkin, and Henrik Lundqvist. Oh, there's and Eric Carlson. Oh, there's Pavel Datsuk, number eleven. And yeah. NBD Joe Vitali was trade for him. Straight <laughs> oh, up, big deal. NBD, would you put him at eleven? I put him at eleven. Maybe, maybe a little higher. I'm surprised Henrik Zetterberg's not up there. This is decade, right? This is decade. Decade. Wow. Yeah. Because they haven't played what? How long has it been since Datsuk played? Datsuk wow. played last. When did you get traded, Joe? That was fifteen. Two thousand fifteen. So four years ago, and he hadn't even played. That, he didn't play that. It was just a contract. So but, he hasn't. I would consider him more of a two thousand to two thousand ten. And that's my problem with the McDavid thing too. He didn't come in the league till halfway right. through the decade. So yeah. I mean, and I get the point production that he's putting up, but still. Yeah. So for the St. Louis Blues angle. Because I know a lot of people want to know where those players are. Vladimir Tarasenko, 25th, which 
I can get on board with that. Yeah, for I sure. Think that's, I think that's a, a well-respected position for what Vladimir Tarasenko has done, and you mentioned it in terms of five-on-five goals. He's right there with Alex Ovechkin, uh, the top of the National Hockey League. Alex Petrangelo is 61, which that's a joke to me. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I know it's a, it's a short sample size because he really didn't break out until the last couple of seasons, but... If you're looking at the all-decade, he's still a guy who, through 2010 to 2019, he's logging you 20 minutes on average a night, and he played 713 games. So you can't judge this by points, in my opinion. you got to judge this more on the defenseman and, and, yeah. and what what his role is for the team. For sure. No, I, and I agree. And Ryan, don't forget Ryan O'Reilly was in round yeah. 56, which I think if this is done in another five years, looking back, he's going to climb significantly. Oh, yeah. I mean, Patrice Bergeron, who was a good comp, I think, for Ryan O'Reilly, right. is at number seven. Yeah. So that's a big, I mean, it's almost 50 spots back, which, I mean, Patrice Bergeron over the decade has done a lot more. So I'm not going to say that Ryan deserves to be number seven and maybe Patrice Bergeron needs to be higher. But I think in five years, you can look at Ryan O'Reilly and how he will surpass Patrice Bergeron. So a couple that I'm not seeing on here Brad Richards. Think he deserves to be on here? Uh, I don't know. Posted a lot of points in his career. Yeah. Won the Stanley Cup Tampa Bay. Was a, a weapon in Dallas and then, of course, fell off a little bit, but mm. questionable. I don't know. Vinny LeCavier isn't on here either. But Marty St. Louis is. But Marty St. Louis is. And yeah. if you're talking Tampa Bay, and I know Nikolai Hobby Bullen's on here as well, and I think he deserves to be on here. Did I see Mark Andre Fleury on here, Joe? He's on there somewhere. He's on there. Okay, I was yeah. going to say because that's another one that I feel like should be high up. So yeah. again, this this can be a highly discussed and highly debated conversation, but it's just interesting to go in and see one person's mindset of where they put specific players on the top 100 list in the last decade in the National Hockey League. And again, you can check this out at ESPN.com, Greg Wyshynski, or you can check him out on Twitter at Wyshynski. The power play has struggled. It scored some goals, and it's gone silent. Joe and I will talk about the struggles that they're dealing with and how to fix them next here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. I feel like I just complained to Joe Vitale and Dan Betlock for like three minutes there. You just vented hard. I just vented. Straight up vented. You went all chick on me. <laughs> I did go all chick on you. You did. You I were... had to do it before I go home and do it to my wife, so I figure it gets hey, it out a little bit, right? Bounce it off me, man. That's the way, to, that's just the way it works. Just bounce it off of me. That's the way it works. By the way, we got a great text from uh, from JV, the 618. He said, just subscribe to the Spit and Chicklets podcast. He's a truck driver. Can't wait to listen as soon as, he wrap, as, soon as this show wraps up tonight. Uh, and I texted him back. I said, you're not going to be disappointed with that. So straight hockey for him as he's just driving through the night. I hope not. Yeah. Stay safe out there. Yeah, stay safe out there. Don't laugh too hard as we go along the rest of the evening. Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario with you. We'll get into a little NHL rundown segment in our next segment, some topics around the National Hockey League. But now I wanted to talk power play with Joe. And, you know, we've been watching this Blues power play for the last few years. Um specifically this season, led the team when they were going through all of their struggles with five-on-five scoring, but now you're in a little bit of a slump, Joe, and we saw that desperation play against Colorado when they had the four-minute power play and they scored two goals, but we also saw them go over five last night against the Edmonton Oilers. They're getting chances, but they're just not finding ways to convert. Yeah, and you know, if you're a team, though, that's getting chances as a coach and as a team, you're fine. Yeah. You're fine with that. Eventually, the bounce is going to come. Hey, Robert Thomas shoots the puck from the outside last night. It hits the post. It goes right to Justin Falk, who has an empty net. It goes off a of freaking Larson's like toe. Right. I mean, that's a goal. Yeah. I mean, 
they're getting chances, and this team is not frustrated by the lack of scoring. Uh, you know, first of all, you brought up that four-minute uh, power play. Uh, Nazem Kadri takes a four-minute major high-sticking penalty on Colton Pareko, an undisciplined play in the neutral zone that really hurt Colorado because it was really no going back for the mm-hmm. Blues after they scored those two goals. But you have a four-minute major. The Blues go out there, and they shoot the puck, and they're aggressive. And Ryan O'Reilly said it after the game. We made it a point to outwork Colorado. And as a power play, you don't think of it very often this way because you have the odd man advantage. You have the extra man. So their natural tendency, instinctually, you think you can sit back and you have the extra guy so someone else will do it. But Ryan O'Reilly, throughout that struggle, they had a big goose egg for the previous seven games. They said after the game that we looked at that power play like we've got to outwork our opposition. They did that. They had two puck recoveries. One ended up on David Perron's stick, ended up in the net. And then Vince Dunn, another recovery by Oscar Sundquist, ended up on Vince Dunn's stick, ended up in the back of the net. I think the Blues continued that momentum into last night's game versus Edmonton. I actually really liked the power play. I thought there were a lot of options. I thought they were aggressive. I think they learned something from that major penalty where they scored the two goals. And, and they were close. They were very close in a lot of those situations in last night's game against the Oilers. So if you're a player on that team, you feel very good about it. The, the most important thing I loved about the power play last night was the fact that they didn't score, but it was really kind of the reaction after how they've carried the play five on five. Sometimes you'll see teams that get really discouraged when they get chances, they don't get chances, but they're not having a lot of success on the power play. That kind of will it will trickle into the five on five play. And sometimes it can really kind of demoralize a team's kind of ego and demoralize a team's energy. But the Blues just did not let it affect them. They kept going five on five. They carried the play. And I think that was a really good maturity growing point last night for the Blues. Well, and Craig Berube said it after the game, Joe, too. He he stated that, you know, we kept that first power play unit out there, and I believe it was that where they had five shots. The chances it was three or four shots that they had, and they kept the power play unit out there that entire time. I think it may have been the five on three, but he said we kept them out there because they were playing so confident. Mm-hmm. And I think that speaks to what you were talking about because fans want to see the goals on the power play. You hear them yell, shoot, in the stands. And we talked with David Perron at the beginning of the season talking about how the power play that they run doesn't work like that, where you just take shot after shot after shot. It's more of the quality chances that Mark, that Mark Savard is preaching to the team. And I think the confidence that Craig Berube was talking about showed in a game where they went 0 for 5 on the power play. Well, again, you know, you look at it like there's opportunities throughout the game where there was a whistle after 35, 40 seconds. The first unit's looking to the bench, and Craig Berube didn't change them. And to me, that shows signs of a coach that has a lot of belief in the group of guys out there, whether they're having success or not. You know, Craig Berube does this a lot. He, he puts the power back into the players. You know what? You're out there 40 seconds. You haven't got a shot on goal. You're not coming off. Figure it out. I mean, I'm a parent. A lot of, I think sometimes in parenting, that's how you have to handle your children. Sometimes they need help, and they're going to come to mom and dad. But sometimes instead of helping them, just be like, no, you, you, you figured this out. Right. You're going to make a lot of mistakes, but you need to figure this out. Go. Go do it. Go back outside wherever you're doing and go do this. And Craig Berube has the kind of same mindset for not only the power play, but five on five. If someone's struggling, he's going to keep putting them out there. If Vladimir Terra singles an off night, you're going back out there. You're not coming off because you are going to go figure this out. And, and that is a good characteristic trait of this coach. And players appreciate that instead of you know having a bad couple shifts and being sat. I think, I think there's a lot of things that the players appreciate about him. And, of course, that's a, a main thing that we've heard numerous times, Joe. But another aspect, too, is what happened today. The team didn't have a full practice. 
They did three sessions of 20-minute skills practice where they were out there with cones and sticks and basically looked like a mini skills competition at the All-Star Weekend. But then they went to that outdoor rink up at Centene Ice Community Center, which, first of all, is insanely awesome. If you haven't been out there yet, you need to check it out, especially the outdoor one. But they just did three-on-three. It wasn't anything hard practice. It wasn't any battle drills. It was just going out there and having a fun time. And Craig Berube said it afterwards. He said, you know what? This has been a grind of a season so far. It's been a grind of a year going back to last year. These guys just need to have a day where they can have fun. And I think that is what these players appreciate so much about Craig Berube and why they respond to him so well. We all have our favorite TV shows. And in our favorite sitcoms, they always, every now and then, the director or the producer will bring in a character every now and then, right? Mm-hmm. Just enough where it keeps you interested and they're hilarious or they're perfect for that that scene. Creed from The Office. Creed from Perfect. Perfect example. Yep. Creed from The Office. If they use him anymore, maybe he loses a little bit of value. Yep. Craig Berube understands that every now and then, they need to hear a different voice. Mm-hmm. You can't be out there all the time. You can't be running every practice and every drill and slapping your stick when the power play is not moving the puck effectively. You know, it's healthy to have skills coach like Sean McFarrell, Sean Farrell go out there, uh, Steve Ott go out there and run drills. The players like hearing a different voice because if they keep hearing the same voice over and over from Craig Bruby, eventually they're going to start uh, just muting it out. Mm-hmm. And this is why GMs fire coaches. It's not necessarily because uh, another coach has a different idea like or different system that's all miraculously just going to take them on a different run. Look what happened last year. Craig Bruby takes over. Not much change with the system, but it was a different voice. And sometimes players get tired of the same voice over and over and over. So Craig Bruby not only lets them run practice, he wasn't even out there. He was probably out of sight, out of mind for a lot of these players. And I think that's really healthy that uh, a coach understands that philosophy where you got to understand when to be around and maybe sometimes when not to be around. Because if you're not around sometimes, it, you make more of an impact, I think, when you address the group. Is that part of the reason why the penalty kill has been so successful? In what way? In terms of them not focusing on it all the time or Mm -hmm. him not out there when things aren't going because there was a stretch there where they were allowing power play goals on because I think it was three or four games in a row that they allowed power play goals there was a stretch there but Craig Brewery really never overkill when it comes to the penalty kill work it's just a matter of look this is what you guys need to do you get back to it well and Steve Ott for the most part runs the penalty kill and they probably like hearing from Steve Ott uh, you know, Jake Allen made a great point last night since you brought up the penalty kill, Alex. And this is something, you know, I'm learning every day about this game. I've played my whole life, but I'm still learning. Craig Brewery makes that challenge. It's a two to one game, and he makes a challenge. And Curbs and I up in the booth, like, oof, it's a close call. I Bad don't idea. know if you make that challenge because now you put yourself on a power play. But then Jake was talking to some reporters after the game, and Jake said something pretty pretty spectacular in, in regards to the penalty kill. He said, in some ways, he likes six on four a lot better than six on five. So the fact that they lost the challenge, they go back on the kill, and now Edmonton's, it's a five on four, they pull their goalie, now it's a six on four. So instead of a six on five, which it would have been, it's a six on four. And Jake said, I like that because it's more structure. We're used to the penalty kill. We do it way more regularly than a six-on-five, so guys understand what needs to be done. And there's one less guy in front of me. So when it's a six-on-five, maybe you have Ryan O'Reilly. He's the guy in the middle of the box. You have four guys in the box. Ryan O'Reilly's right in the middle. Jake Allen, he's looking at it now where you know he, he has something where he's looking at four bodies and just four bodies and not another guy in front of his net. So he actually preferred the six-on-four and compared to the six-on-five, not, not to mention the fact that you can ice the puck. 
without yeah. being called. So that's another thing. We get the puck on your stick around Jake late in the game. You can clear that thing as many times as you want, and it's just going to kill more time. Keep so. shooting at the empty net with it Bingo. nonstop. Here's Jake Allen talking about that. He almost said, screw it up. Yeah. <laughs> he almost said, so we don't screw it up at six yep. on five. Yep. And he stopped. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Jake said it way better than I did. Yeah. <laughs> Debatable. <laughs> Somebody texted in and said, please don't leave Kevin Malone out of the office reference. Come on, Ferrario. <laughs> Look, yeah. Kevin Malone's great. But Kevin if, you take, if you take Creed out, you lose an awful lot of great elements from that uh, series. You do, man. You do. That's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. Joe mentioned about the coaches and why you see a lot of coaches being fired in the National Hockey League. We've seen a lot of them already fired, but could we see more? Joe and I will talk about some names that could be on the hot seat moving forward next here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. We're getting some text messages from the listeners on the Hot Shots text line at 65780. So you can send us your Blues questions or NHL questions, 65780, or Mike drops to the 101 ESPN app. Joe Vitale and I will take those. Danny Betlock will read those in a couple of moments. But before that, some coaches on the hot seats. Now, we've seen Pete DeBoer. We've seen John Hines, Bill Peters. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other ones that have been let go. Of course, Mike Babcock think that's it so we've seen four coaches already let go in the National Hockey League this season Joe and if you look at the standings and if you look at the position for some teams I'm kind of curious if there are other coaches that could be on the hot seat I know you brought this question up to uh, 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 earlier today with um, I think we were talking about Brad Thompson he was here with Brad Thompson you brought it up with Stalter and Rivers about the coaches being on the hot seat. Yeah, I think uh, like the Nashville Predators to me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Luke Korak. You're talking Luke Korak. Uh, yeah, the Nashville Predators to me and Peter Laviolette. I mean, I know they're on a good two-game road trip right now to New York. I think they played the Islanders the other night. They beat up on them pretty bad. But how is Peter Laviolette not on the hot seat? I mean, uh, David Poyle, the GM in Nashville, he's a former Husky dog from Northeastern. Just want to throw NBD. that out there. No big deal. Um, Peter Laviolette. Dude, yeah. I mean, what has happened to the Nashville Predators? They go all the way to the Cup final. They lose to the Pittsburgh Penguins. They have this window. They add some pieces. You got Pekka Rene on the back end. You got, you know, what, what was arguable, maybe the best defensive core to start the year last year. And and they're just falling to pieces. You get rid of P.K. Subban in the offseason. You think something's kind of finally starting to come alive there. And they just cannot get over that playoff hump. And, they thought they had it figured out last year. You bring in Brian Boyle. You bring in Simmons. You bring in a lot of big, heavy pieces, guys that can win and been proven to win in the playoffs, and, and they still can't get it done. And to me, Alex, that's kind of comes full circle to what we were talking about earlier. Maybe the Predators are just tired of hearing the same voice yeah. over and over. Maybe it's time for a new voice in Nashville because I'm telling you what, I know their window looks good, but it's going to close here pretty soon. I mean, Johansson, all these players right now, Turris has been a healthy scratch this year. I mean, yep. Yossi's is 30 years old. Yossi, I mean, they just signed to be a long extension. I mean, it's it, it, it's problematic. And if I'm a National Predators fan, I, I'm nervous having Peter Laviolette still behind the bench given the fact that they still haven't gotten over that hump. You know, another team that I feel like should have fired their coach by now that hasn't is Bruce Boudreaux from Minnesota. Yeah. And Minnesota's Fair. a team that is, I don't know, they're a team that I don't think don't doesn't know who they are, if that makes any sense. Like, one moment they're winning seven of ten, and then the next minute they can't pick up a victory in in eight straight. And they're playing Arizona tonight, as we talked with Bill uh, Paul Bissonette in our last hour. Um, but Bruce Boudreau has been with the team now for a few seasons. 
He's gone to the playoffs with them. He's missed the playoffs with them. They've fired their general manager and brought in Bill Guerin. And I would imagine Bill Guerin's assessing the situation before he makes a drastic decision. But when you're 16, 14, and 5 in 35 games this season, you're on the cusp of being out of the playoffs, also being in a wild card position. It would seem that they need another voice in there because they just don't know who they are. You know, it could be that. Or, you know, if you're Billy Garen, you can look at the flip side too, Alex, because that's certainly one argument. The other argument might be, you know, you got Ryan Suter, you got Zach Parisi, you got Koivu, you got a lot of older guys that are on these long deals that are, let's just face it, they're older and they're a little bit worn out. So maybe, maybe you're looking at a Minnesota Wild team that, uh, the players are kind of past that window, and maybe Bruce Boudreaux is the right guy for the job, mm. but we just got to move some more pieces to get him some better players. Uh, but it's going to be tough because Zach Parise and Ryan Suter are locked up still for a while here, and they're making some serious cash. So. I think they're both locked up until they're 41 years old. Dude, there. it's insane. Yeah. I mean, th- that's the problem with these freaking eight, 10 year deals. Like, you know, we talk about all the time with Alex Petrangelo. Look at Duncan Keith. Look at Seabrook. Uh, Drew Doughty is, is a problem. It's going to become a problem with the last three, four years of these guys' deals because you just see it trending that way. I got another one for you here, Alex. Yeah. What about in Detroit? Dan Blaschel. Yeah, that's another one. Dead last, Detroit Red Wings, Steve Eisenman's his first year as a general manager. He's looking to do something there. He's got to revamp this, this group. I think it could take three, four years to turn this organization around. Is Dan Blaschel the guy for the job? I don't know. I, you know, they 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 were waiting for Blaschel to take over when Babcock was there because he was having such success in the AHL with Grand Rapids and all of the prospects that they had piled up, and he was winning hockey games and contending for Calder trophies. But then it dropped off because the players that they were hoping to put with Blaschel all kind of called it a career. I mean, Pavel Datsuk. Henrik Zetterberg, and then you had um, Nicholas Cronwell. Mm -hmm. So all of these veterans that they had transitioned, and they didn't have that next core. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I think Detroit's a team that – well, that's a tough one too, Joe, because Detroit's a team that needs a new voice there because they're not having success. But it's also a team that I think Steve Eiserman strategically doing this to where you know you got a tank. Yeah. So you might as well lose for a couple of seasons with a coach and wait till you have a new core in place and you want to coach there. But, I mean, tell me from a player's perspective, if you know you're a tanking team, would you rather have a coach who can start to instill some better mindsets into the players rather than just continue to go out there and play bad hockey? Well, I think that's a, just a terrific point. And I think that must be what Steve Eiserman is thinking. Whether, whether Blaschel is the guy and you want him here, then that's great. Keep him there. Or if he's not the guy, well, you're in dead last and you're losing and something's not working, but you got to lose. You got to keep losing. You got to be right. terrible. The worst thing to do is to finish, you know, third or fourth to last every single year. I mean, the Blues dealt with that for a while. They mm-hmm. went so many years without a first round pick because they were always making the playoffs, but then losing. I mean, it was just that constant, like either you got to be really good or you got to be really bad. And Steve Eisman right now, to your point, Alex, I think he's looking at this group as a team that cannot defend. I mean, when you have Green and Daly, I mean, you got some bad older defenseman on the back end. This group cannot defend. They're not getting goaltending. Jimmy Howard is on his yeah. last leg over there. So I think you look at this whole thing like, you know, we just got to be extremely bad. And they've moved on from their goaltending prospects. I mean, they had a Peter Mrazek 
in their system that they gave to Carolina because they put the faith in Jimmy Howard. And I'm not saying Mrazek could turn that team around, but Mrazek's having a better season and career now that he's away from Detroit rather than what Jimmy Howard has had. Well, and, and I should backtrack a little bit, Alex. I was kind of commenting about the eight and ten year deals, how they're just not good, except Braden Shen. That is a good deal uh, for Braden Shen because uh, he's my homeboy. And he just texted me. Apparently, he's on the way to a Christmas party. And he goes, what's wrong with these eight-year deals? Dude, you're taking shots at <laughs> Shen's eight-year deal. <laughs> I didn't say it was his deal. I'm just saying from Doug Armstrong's perspective, this is what I mean. This is what he's going off of. Right. He's looking at the Seabrooks. He's looking at you know all these players. Um, you know, look at what's going on with Suter and Zach Parise. You go eight years. You go nine years. Whatever it is. I mean, it trends as if the last few years of the deal. Um, you're trying to look. How, how do you figure out? Right. You know what I mean. And, and Drew Doughty, in my opinion, it's kind of heading the same direction. Now he's got a little bit longer on his deal, but the way he is trending right now, you would almost think that. With three, four years left in his deal, he's going to be looking for a buyout. But uh, I had to love that right there. I'll, Braden Shen, that's the only eight-year deal that I would say there's a good deal in the National Hockey League. I'll save you for, for, for Shen right here, Joe. I think the eight-year deal looks good on Braden because of the work ethic that comes with it. Well, yeah. Not saying that the guys like Parise and Suter aren't, are, hmm. are having different work ethics, but you look at the way that Braden Shen plays, you look at the way that Ryan Suter or Zach Parise plays, it's two different styles of hockey that can't have success in the system that Craig Berube's doing. Is that well, good? Well, yeah. I mean, look, the guy scored a goal last night. He doesn't have an ear. The guy plays hockey without an ear. He's a warrior. almost lost his ear and still sniping it past the Edmonton Oilers goaltender. Just like Van Gogh. Just going top shelf. Just like that poet, Vincent Van Gogh. No, he was a painter. Oh, he's a painter. I learned that last night. Sure? I learned that last you night. Sure? Yeah, Kirk's <laughs> correcting me. It's good to know. I got that clip, too. If you know oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. We've played the hell out of it this morning and afternoon on, uh, on here on 101 ESPN. Let's take a quick break. This Week in Hockey, we'll come back with some of your questions on the text line, Hot Shots text line at 65780. Also, some other stories around the NHL all coming your way next on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Check the Hot Shots text line at 65780 because we are getting a lot of text messages, some questions for Joe Vitale and yours truly. It is This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario and Joey V back with you. We'll get to some stories around the NHL. We do have What's Up With That coming up in our final segment, which includes Joey's old team spoofing a Christmas movie and Barry Trotz starting a battle royale with the Nashville Predators head coach. But before that, let's check the text line. Danny B., what do we got, buddy? Uh, for the 314, uh, can you see? And it's funny because I asked you this because I don't get to look at the text line too much, or, or I try to not to because it's a wormhole sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's but, true. Uh, can you see the Blues looking into Ilya Kovalchuk now that he's been released? No. Stay far away from no. that. No. Really stay if, here or stay away yeah, as long as you stay can. Stay away as long as the, if the second worst team in the Western Conference cut Ilya Kovalchuk. He's not good for a team to win a Stanley Cup. I, I just, I always think of the scene from The Office where Michael Scott sees Toby. No, no. God, <laughs> God, no, please, no, no, he's the worst. That's, God, no, no, Ila Cole. I think his his time's done. L.A. brought him in because they thought they needed scoring. Uh, they Paid realized him an absurd amount of money. Listen, this guy can shoot. He's got a knack for the net, but I just really doubt the fact that he can play into a team system. Especially a, a grinded out system yeah. that is demanding like Craig Berube. No, no way, Jose, can he play that style? How rare is it to have players come back from the KHL and have success in the NHL? Uh, I mean, you just don't. Well, first of all, you don't see them come back very often right. because, first of all, it's tax free money over there. And the fact that they went over there is for probably a reason because they couldn't cut it in the NHL anymore. Unless you're Yarmir Yager. Unless you're Yarmir, who's still oh, playing Rachel, hockey. Rachelov came back, right? 
Didn't yeah, but then he went back because he didn't have success over here. Oh, no, yeah, Radulov did yeah. come back. Yeah, yeah, I guess. It's rare, though, because, you know, Pavel Datsuk went over to the KHL, and he was rumored to possibly want to come back to the NHL, and who knows if that plays over here. So. Yeah, it didn't work out for Sabotka. Hmm. Mm, no, it didn't. See, give and take with those. But, no, yeah, I'd stay far away from Ilya Kovalchuk. Surprisingly, though, the St. Louis Blues nemesis in the Eastern Conference have been rumored to be talking to Ilya Kovalchuk. Boston Bruins? Boston Bruins. I can't see Bruce Cassidy and Don Sweeney making that move. Can, what, that seems to be what you said Pittsburgh did when they brought in a Jerome McGinley. Yeah. And you're playing him on the third line. He was playing third line minutes with the L.A. Kings. Yeah. And he wasn't happy. So he's not going to have any success playing over in Boston. Uh, I, I wouldn't think so, but who knows? Another one from the three one four. Does number twenty get retired? No, I don't think so either. I don't know. I don't know. That's that's a tough one because look, alternate captain, been with the team for ninety percent of his career, wins the Stanley Cup in St. Louis. But it's pretty tough to get numbers retired. I mean, maybe if if, he, if they can get another cup in the next two years, then maybe. Yeah. And, and trust me, I, I am. There's not a bigger fan. Oh, I'm pro Alexander Steen all day long on the planet than us two. Yeah. And we absolutely love him as a person, as a player, what he's done for this organization, how he treats people. I mean, he is to me. He is the the next Key Kachuk. I mean, he followed in Key Kachuk's footsteps oh, yeah. as far as what a, what it means to be a pro. So I would love to see it. I just don't know if the numbers are there, uh, if the impact was there like you have with Al McGinnis or Brett Hall, let's yeah. just say. Can you name the last two people to wear number 20 for the Blues? Uh, well, I know Jamie Rivers. Jamie Rivers. Wore once. Uh, I know we were, we were talking about earlier, Mike Peluso. Mike Peluso. Wore, way, wore, back in the way back in the day, yeah. He was an animal. No, I don't know the last two, no. Mike Johnson. Johnson. Well, he was your teammate, wasn't he? Did he play in Arizona? Nope. No? They played together. Nope. Never mind then. Jamie Rivers, yeah, was the other one to wear it as well. Uh, from the 314 guys, you were talking earlier about uh, Jake Allen and his play. And once uh, one texter mentioned just because he won a few games, you can't put him up on a pedestal. Okay. Uh, what's a few games to you? To which, I re- to which in my mind I replied, I was like, well, just because he had a rough month, you can't bury the guy as well. Well, what are a few games? Because this was back to last, the second he's half played, of last season. He's played well. Where he's won all of those road games for you. Yeah. He just passed up Curtis Joseph for... The all-time wins list? Is he's like second, oh, yeah. second on the list of wins right now? Wins, and then he got to the shutout, too. He's I creeping think up on he's the tied with Mike Liuta. He took over from Mike Liuta. Yeah. So the question is, seeing what with uh, with Bennington did last season coming up from the AHL relatively unknown, would that make you more comfortable in trading Jake Allen and bringing up Huso, knowing what you can get from Huso? Moving on from Allen. Uh, you know... You know, Dan, I, I, I appreciate the question. I, I just don't know if you can compare Billy Huso to Jordan Bennington simply because Jordan Bennington, I think he he matured a lot longer in the minors than Billy Huso's at right now. I mean, this is the fourth year in the minors in the American Hockey League for Billy Huso. Compare that to Jordan Bennington, it's almost a little over half of what Jordan Bennington spent down there. Jordan Bennington was in the minors and the East Coast Hockey League for seven years. Seven years developing playing a ton of games, struggling, redefining him his game, redefining himself. I mean, that's the struggle. I mean, within the struggle is where he's found his success, and I just don't know if Billy Huso has spent enough time down there. I mean, that is the that's his goaltender NHL 101. You do not bring up a young goaltender before he has groomed himself into become a dynamic goalie, and we saw it with Jordan Bennington. Uh, very rarely do you get number one draft picks 
in the NHL that become stars like Carey Price and Marc-Andre Fleury's. They don't happen very often. Goalies mature mid-20s, and I don't know if Billy Huso is quite there. I don't know about you, Alex. The first time that Jake Allen saw his full-time NHL role was when he was 25 years old. There you go. And that was when he played 37 games in the 2015 season. Uh, he played 15 games in the NHL prior to that, but that's not a full-time role. Ville Husso is 24 years old, turns 25 in February, but Ville Husso has also had three injury-plagued seasons yeah. in the AHL, most notably last year where he only played 27 games. He hasn't had a full workload yet, so if you're trading away Jake Allen, I think you're exposing a weakness to yourself in your backup goaltender. And let's be honest here, what are you going to get back for Jake Allen? If you're you're not going to get a top six forward for Jake Allen because mm-hmm. those cost a hefty price. I mean, you're looking at draft picks, you're looking at other prospects as well. So what you're going to get in return for Jake Allen, I think Jake Allen's more valuable to you than trading him away for something. Well, and it's not just about the numbers. I mean, it's the just, locker room. It's the locker room. It's yeah. the relationship with the starter. Goes I mean, a long way. if yeah. if you take me and move me to Antarctica for a year, <laughs> not only are you going to lose me, but you're going to lose part of my wife. That's She's true. not gonna be the same. Yeah. If, if you take if you take Chris Kerber <laughs> away from me, I'll be a sad little puppy, and you're gonna lose a little bit of me. So I mean, but you know, my I mean, point is, Doug Armstrong <laughs> looks at that. You know, well, how is how will losing Jake Allen and bringing in a Billy Huso or some other goalie? How will that affect Jordan Bennington? How will that affect practices? How will it affect the day in day outs? Because uh, certainly you don't want to lose Jordan Bennington. No. And and I, I think he's a true pro. And but there are little little um yeah. little picadillos. Is that the right word? Little picadillos. Picadillos in the personalities it's, that you got to keep an eye on. It's the new word right now. And you talking about just the development of Allen made me think too of Brian Elliott, who was really good when he first came up with Ottawa. Terrible when he was in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Came here was terrible. Had to be sent down and developed and into a very good goaltender. Rushed. He yes. was rushed. He was rushed. You can't rush him. Same thing Chris Butler said too. Yeah. The reason he never really had that extended career in the NHL is because he felt like he was rushed by Buffalo. They drafted him and put him in the NHL right away rather than let him grow in the AHL. Exactly. I mean, the only rush that was ever successful was, was the band Joe rush. Vitale. No, the band rush. Oh, the band oh, rush. The greatest Canadian band of all time. Tom That's Sawyer, true. working man. Tom, Tom Sawyer, me, me, my. Every time I hear rush, I think of... Slapping the bass, man. Slapping the bass, man. I love you, man. Slapping the bass, man. One more, Dan. One more here. Also, you were talking earlier about the need potentially for a trading for a scoring winger. Uh, Joey mentioned that. Do they need to trade for a scoring winger, or do they need guys currently on the roster to score more? To me, Dan, right now, I, I, if I'm Doug Armstrong and that's who's making the decisions, I'm leaving everything as is. It's uh, funny, too, because we had EJ Erratic on. We've had multiple guys on who said they think Doug Armstrong is going to make a trade. Mike Rupp said this on NHL Network about a month ago with Darren Pang. EJ Erratic thought it, said it the other day as well. And now... It's kind of uh, they were linked to Taylor Hall. Do you think a move is coming? I think I think I think just as there's a couple wild cards. We, we were talking about a little earlier in the show, Alex. Where's Val, Vladimir Tarasenko going to be? That's number one. And if you are going to get someone, well, you got to look at your most prized possession and who you got to give up, which is Alex Petrangelo. If they decide to move on from Alex Petrangelo, because you can get someone back who's a really good goal scorer That's and a, a big hole, really good winger. Yeah. If you do decide not to move on. With Alex Petrangelo. But I don't even know if you get a really good winger for Alex Petrangelo well, because I, he's a rental. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's a good point, but at least it frees up a lot of cap space moving forward where Doug Armstrong could 
certainly move in a direction where you can yeah. pay someone a lot of money to score a lot of goals. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm with Joe. We're in the locker room on a daily basis, and we see the chemistry. You heard Paul Bissonette mention it, how close those guys truly are. That means something in an NHL season, especially when you go through the grind and when guys joke around and when they laugh. You can't mess that up. That is the most valuable thing for a team if they want to push for another Stanley Cup. And you know what, Alex Petrangelo, this is a tough one yeah, because he's a UFA and he's going to want a lot of money. And you know what, he deserves a lot of money. And so if you're Doug Armstrong, if you move on from him because you can't commit to that money, that may be fine. But then you're losing a huge piece of why you won the Stanley Cup last year. And this is going to be a big hole, like Dan was just saying, moving forward. If you have a three, four, five-year window, I'll tell you what, with Alex Petrangelo in that window, you have a lot more chances yep. of success than with him out of him. But again, that comes back to then you got to resign him. And what do you resign him for? So it's this is a a tough a tough situation, a sticky one that you know you don't see a lot in the National Hockey League, especially considering you're talking about a player that just captained the Stanley Cup championship yeah. team for the first time in franchise history. Right. So yeah, that's going to be a huge hole, and that's probably the most intriguing thing moving into the rest of this season. For the St. Louis Blues. We'll take our final break here on This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale, Dan Betlock with you. We'll come back. What's up with that next on 101 ESPN? Well, we got a couple of them with this one tonight with what's up with that as we wrap things up on This Week in Hockey. Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario with you. Joe, I'll start it off with what's up with the Boston Bruins. Losing a lot of games. 4-4-2 four, four, and two in their last 10 hockey games. A team that was... Well, the best team in the NHL at the opening of the season. They had three regular season losses up into December 7th. December 7th, they only had three regulation losses. That's how good they were. Do you think they're they're riding the panic bus right now? No, not at all. No? The fact that the fact that we are talking about how the Boston Bruins are struggling at 500 <laughs> over their last six or that the eight a 10 10. Yeah. I mean what's up with that? I yeah. mean that's just how good these guys are. That's exactly no panic. the the point on that one. So your former team, I think, does an incredible job when it comes to videos of doing spoofs. The Blues do this as well, but last year the Penguins, I believe, did a fuller, full house spoof with some of their players. Home Alone, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it was Home Alone. That's yep. right. This year they've taken the Christmas to another level with Tim Allen's Santa, Santa Claus. Claus. Here's this. So Malcolm was the only one that I can tell on that one. Chris, I watched the video. Chris O'Tang had a big part in the beginning. Yeah. He was the one looking up at the roof that saw someone fall down. Uh, who was Crosby in that? Because Crosby was in it somewhere. I, I missed him. Yeah, I missed Crosby. I couldn't tell the voice. I'll have to go back and watch it. But it was pretty entertaining. Those are great. I mean, the accents, which, which <laughs> makes them. I mean, the French accents, the Russian accents. I mean, hearing those guys trying to speak English. And listen, it's nostalgic. You remember, we all remember those oh, movies. Yeah. But then to hear a professional athlete step into that role, it's fun. And Malkin with a beard and a fake fat gut. <laughs> I think I something's wrong. <laughs> it was just incredible. Uh, what's up with this one, Joe? Barry Trotz, them fighting words with Peter Laviolette. So I heard about this. The other night it was an 8-3 to final score. Nashville just destroys the New York Islanders. Mm -hmm. And while it was 8-3, to New York took a penalty in the final minutes of the hockey game. I think there was like three minutes left. And Nashville put their best power play unit on the ice. Mm -hmm. And so afterwards, Barry Trotz said this. Everybody has their own way of doing it. I wouldn't have done it that way. Tells me a lot about him. 
Yeah, wow. Basically just uh, calling him out as a jerk. You know what? I've seen that both ways, Alex. We both have, you know, a team winning by a big margin at the end of a game, and then maybe a coach gives a little love to the fourth line on the power play when there is a power play. But I've also seen it where, I mean, I don't know what happened on the penalty, but if someone went after Roman Yossi and slashed him hard at the end of the game, I can see a coach putting out their first unit and just ripping them. So I, a lot to me, a lot of it is what happened leading up to that penalty. So without that, but I tell you what, that's the only power play love I've ever gotten in my life was when we were up like 7-1 to late in the game. How did it feel? Oh, I felt awesome. Yeah, dude. dude. I had a puck on my stick for like two seconds. I was like, whoa, <laughs> this feels like a, an hour. Nobody's business, and he's not yelling at me to dump the puck and get back to the bench. Yeah, <laughs> I can cross over the blue line and pull up and make a what, – what's that called, a play? Wait, this is a what? thing? Where is everybody? You know what on the ice? I, I'm curious as a player because we saw that last night against the Edmonton Oilers. At the end of the game, it was a loss. Oilers couldn't score. And Zach Cassian just starts throwing fists in the middle of a scrum. Is that more frustration? Like, oh, come on. This is BS. We couldn't score. Yeah, your frustration. Uh, that's just his, uh, that is just his DNA. Really? I played against Zach Cassian. He's a mean guy to play against. And he's a guy you love to have on your team. He's a Milan Lucci type of player. Uh, Ryan Reeves that actually you know what Ryan Reeves actually I think he he's tough but I don't think he's like mean yeah he's not like angry like, tough Zach Cassian's mean I think Reeves knows he doesn't have to be mean because he knows he can just dominate anybody that gets into a fight with him he's just so technical he's just a boxer yeah. I mean that guy he can be sweet and kind and you know mellow mm-hmm. but also be tough I think Zach that's Cassian's what's in- just angry that's what's intimidating about Reeves how mellow he is when he's on the ice I know you know even when you're fighting him, you see his fights, he's like squaring up. He's just kind of like smirking. Yeah. You're like, geez. That pisses me off when they smirk. I know. Just makes it even worse. Well, that's our what's up with that. And as we wrap things up, of course, the Blues are headed back out onto the road. A three-game road trip that starts on Saturday. As the Blues will head out tomorrow for California. Joe Vitale gets to leave the cold winter weather and head Sorry, to boys. the sunny boardwalk. I'm getting tan. You're going to be a longboarding next time we call you? No. Well, if I am, I'm not going to put it on Instagram again. I made that mistake last year. Yeah, you learned from your wife on that one. Jeez. That's a big test, though, against the San Jose Sharks, Joe. Well, it's going to be a big one. I mean, in the Shark Tank, a tough building. The Sharks pride themselves on pumping tons of shots at the net. A team uh, in despair. Just lost their head coach, Peter DeBoer. We all know about it, and they're looking for a little bit of life. Listen, Joe Thornton's on his last leg. I don't know if he's got any hockey left in him after this year. This is a team that's going to try to come together under Evander Kane and the Carlsons and the Brent Burns, players who've had terrible years. Brent Burns, speaking of players having a rough year. Uh, Again, just a lot of players having bad years, but... You know, the Blues play anywhere close to their style. They will dominate that game. Uh, the Sharks cannot no. keep the puck out of their net. Jones is having an atrocious year. Uh, it's a game the Blues should take care of business. And then you go to L.A., another game you should take care of business if the focus is there. I'm curious if the Blues are going to throw their bodies around in that San Jose game like they did in the playoffs last year. Because you know the Sharks still have it in their memory of how banged up they were after that series. They were extremely banged up. I think that, players are still hurt from that I series. I think so. That bench was down to like nine guys in the last five <laughs> minutes of game six. That was about as uh, as convincing. I, that was about as uh, predictable of a win as I probably yep. could have called all the, all the entire year last year. Oh, from yeah. the preseason to the Stanley Cup final, that was the one game coming in. You looked at the bench in the first period, you're like, oh my God, this <laughs> like can, can they just give us the two points right. and get out of here? These guys are just close. leaning over the bench and just hurled over on their rib cage. Nothing. Yeah.
Well, it's a 9.30 puck drop on Saturday night, which means we got an 8.30 Mitsubishi Electric pregame show presented by First Community, 9 o'clock BMW of West St. Louis pregame skate, and, of course, Curbs and Joey will have the puck drop at 9.30. Thank you for joining us tonight here on This Week in Hockey. We'll be back with you next week. Big thank you to Dan Betlock for all of his work. I'm Alex Ferrario. He's Joe Vitale. We'll talk to you next week for more Blues Hockey here on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.